a pleasure to be here and to um, continue our series in the Psalms, which Linda said we're having to uh, help us um, learn better how to sing to God um, with the aim that we're so moved uh, in our hearts and souls and minds um, that, we, that we leave church more encouraged than we came in and that we want to praise his name for what he's done uh, in our lives, in the world around us. Um, even more than that, through his son Jesus, our King. And that's my prayer for us, that um, we would leave here this morning, having looked at these two psalms uh, we have in front of us, um, more in awe of God's power, more uh, trusting in what King Jesus has done for us, and more grateful to him as a result. So let's pray as we start, can we? Lord God, as we come to your word, uh, we want to learn about you. Please use your Holy Spirit to teach us. And yet, Lord, we know too that these psalms are a response and they teach us how to respond to you. So we pray you would teach us that too, that you would shape um, the, the thoughts of our minds, um, our affections, Lord, that they be um, moved to worship you more and more as a result of what we read this morning. Amen. Well, if you could uh, keep your Bibles open at um, page 553, that would be helpful. There is a little kind of sermon outline, but um, to be honest, we've not got uh, very strict points. We're going to be going through both of the Psalms, and I'm just going to be giving us a few thoughts as to... uh, what they uh, mean and to how we might respond to them. Looking around, I think most of you here are old enough to, see, to have seen Braveheart. Um, I know when I asked uh, a younger group about that um, a couple of years ago, kind of expecting everyone would have seen it, um, almost no one has. But it is a classic. Um, and one of the kind of most famous scenes, and one I like, is when the Scottish soldiers are lined up ready for battle. And there's kind of rows and rows of them. But they're, they're pretty unsure about being involved. In fact, lots of them want to go home because they don't want to fight for their uh, Scottish lords. And yet they've heard about William Wallace, who to them has become an almost mythical figure. And so when Mel Gibson rides up on his horse with his face painted blue and white, he says to them, I am William Wallace. And they say, William Wallace is seven feet tall. And uh, he says, yeah, yeah, I've heard, I've heard. And uh, he consumes the English with firebolts from his eyes and all the rest of it. But he says, I am William Wallace. And he proceeds to give them a great speech to encourage uh, the the, um, standard soldiers to follow him into the battle. And it's only by him being there, him being there in front of him, uh, in front of them, that will make them uh, enter the fray to fight against the English. And I picture a slightly similar thing going on here in Psalm 20. God's people seem to be on the cusp of a big battle. Look at verse 21. It's a time of worry. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. The battle lines are drawn and the heavy artillery has been assembled. Uh, Look at verse 7. 
we're told the temptation is to look at the chariots, to look at the, the horses, no doubt the fighting men that they've got on their side and probably that's over the valley or wherever they are in front of them. But it's pretty clear, isn't it, that the focus of Psalm 20, our first psalm we had read, is on Israel's king. And in some way, like William Wallace, but even more so, the king is the embodiment of God's people. That their future is kind of inextricably tied with God honouring his chosen king. That's what we're told in verse 6, God's anointed one. That's his chosen king. For the Israelites, that was King David, wasn't it? Um, But we're not uh, back in Israel. Now we're... um, 2,000 and several hundred years later, beyond Jesus. And we can look back on this psalm and see, wow, David fulfilled so much of it then for the Israelites. But there are other aspects to it that we know are only fulfilled in great David's greater son, King Jesus. So the psalm starts with the Israelites asking uh, requests for their king. They come in verses 1 to 5. Look at some of the things they ask for protection, help and support, satisfaction and success, that God would remember the king's sacrifices and therefore, I think, the king's right standing before God. Well, worldly wisdom would have said on the cusp of battle, what they needed to be doing was you know, having a good last meal, getting a good night's sleep, perhaps uh, re-greasing their chariot's wheels, making sure the horses are well-fed and the uh, shoes are fitting properly. But God's people are different. They're praying to God, they're singing to God that that he would remember his king, that he would honour him, that he would answer him, and that he would help him. And this got me thinking, um, how do we face difficult times, scary times? I doubt many of us will be, you know, amassed on a battlefield ready to fight to the death. But no, what about when we're scared or, or hurt or uh, fearful, perhaps? How do we respond? What's our first port of call? For m- many of us, it's probably um, a friendly face, uh, a good friend, um, our husband or wife, our parents, maybe. Perhaps we uh, look to the security and safety of our small world around us, our little family unit uh, that hasn't let us down so far, our our house, our savings, our pension even. Perhaps we just tell ourselves, it will get better, won't it? It will get better. But do we remember, verse 6, that the Lord gives victory to his anointed? And I hope it's obvious that we don't need to pray for Jesus. I I hope that is obvious. But uh, let me give a couple of thoughts of how we can use some of the words of this psalm to uh, pray for ourselves when we are fearful, when we're worried, when we're nervous. And the first is there in verse 3. We can ask God to remember Jesus' sacrifice. And uh, I'm talking about Jesus dying on the cross where we're told Jesus died once and for all, for all of us. So if we're struggling with um, guilt, uh, anxiety over just messing up all the time, we feel that our Christian lives are just a complete fail at the moment. 
Well, friends, remember Jesus' sacrifice. And what are we told about that in the Bible? Romans tells us, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. Let's ask God to remember Jesus' sacrifice for us. Well, if we're fearful, if we're worried, if we're in a really tough place, remember, in Jesus' death, we are more than conquerors, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Something else to pray. Verse 4. We ask God to make Jesus' plans succeed. May he make all your plans succeed. I was reading this week about the church in Iran. And uh, in 1979, um, which was when I was born, there was the revolution in in Iran. And um, what it meant for the Christian church was devastating. Afterwards, um, it's estimated there were only 500 Christians left in Iran. Evangelizing was made illegal. Um, People weren't allowed Bibles. Uh, Any foreign missionaries were expelled from the country, and many pastors were killed. It seemed that God's church had been crushed almost to the point of extinction. And yet, through the faithful witness of those Christians who remained, who did keep telling other people about Jesus dying on the cross for them, Lots of people have become Christians over the last uh, 20 years in Iran. More than lots. A great stat for you. In the last 20 years, more people have become Christians in Iran than in the previous 13 centuries combined. 13 centuries. And God's built his church in the last 20 years from 500 to now there are hundreds of thousands of people who call themselves Christians perhaps even one million. We can ask God to make Jesus' plan succeed. That's in the worldwide picture, but also in our own lives. What are we told? Well, we're not told necessarily that Jesus wants us to have a long life or even a prosperous life or a happy life necessarily. But we do know that we're promised that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. And I hope that as we remind ourselves of God's commitment to honouring King Jesus and what that means for us, then our assurance, our faith in God is strengthened. Because that's what was happening here in the psalm. If you look at verse 6, the battle still hasn't started, and yet the Israelites have moved from praying for their uh, God, um, and and that has changed something in them, that they're now sure that victory is going to come. Look at that, verse 6. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He answers him. Verse 7. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. It's a great reminder for us, a great reminder of what God does for his people. What's God like? He answers. He's not distant. Verse 6. He knows what's going on and he's powerful with his outstretched arm as we... uh, read in the psalm as we sung in that song earlier he saves his king therefore look at the chariots look at the horses all you like and you might have a lot more than us but we've got god romans 8 again if god is for us who can be against us so however we're feeling god is up to the task we can be certain we're on the winning side Verse 9, answer us when we call, 
He will. He will answer us. On to Psalm 21. If uh, Psalm 20 was the before, then clearly Psalm 21 is the after. Uh, I think the battle has been waged, and now um, we turn to that focus on thanking God, on praising him. Um, Just look at verse 4 of Psalm 20. Um, The people prayed that God would give the king the desire of his heart. And then in verse 2 of Psalm 21, that same thing is exactly mirrored and exactly answered. But there are lots of examples if you go through the two Psalms. The people prayed for protection. Even more than that, God gave victory, life, and blessings, we're told. The people prayed for help and support, and then we're told that the king rejoices in God's strength and in listening to him, verse 2. The people prayed the king's faithfulness would be remembered, and then we're told God bestowed on him splendor and majesty. The people prayed for satisfaction and success, and then we hear in verse 5, through the victories you gave, his glory is great. And it's a fantastic picture of how God answers prayer, not just kind of exactly what has been asked for, but lavishly, generously, willing to shower his blessing and his glory on his anointed one. And again, the language is too great to just be about King David. It's about Jesus, isn't it? Verse 4, he asked for life. You gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. Verse 6, surely you have granted him eternal blessings. And if you look back uh, over Psalm 21 with Jesus and the cross in mind, um, just read through some of those verses and think how God answered his prayers. Remember, before um, Jesus went to the cross, he prayed that he would glorify his Father. He prayed he would not lose uh, one who was given to him and that he would give eternal life to those who trusted in him. Well, verse 2b, God answered that prayer, hasn't he? Look at verse 3. The king will be welcomed with rich blessings, a crown of gold uh, placed on his head. We're told Jesus is crowned with many crowns in the glory of heaven. Jesus is our true and glorious and conquering king. So how do we take a little bit of this kind of attitude of um, gratitude to God, of, of praising him, of glorying him in his king? Well, we're going to sing, obviously, uh, in a minute and, and praise him. But for ourselves, perhaps when we go home, an idea might be, as we pray this week, um, I always struggle with this. When I pray, I always just ask for the things I need straight away. Sometimes I thank God, you know, if I've had a good day. But rarely do I start with even just a minute of uh, glorying in who God is, glorying in what he's achieved uh, through his son, Jesus. Why don't we do that this week? Well, it would be excellent if uh, Psalm 21 ended at verse uh, 7. Not only would this uh, sermon be slightly shorter, but we wouldn't have the difficult verses of verses 8 to 12. But I guess as the psalm writer didn't stop there, we probably shouldn't either. And if the psalm originally focused on a specific uh, deliverance um, from from a battle, now it's as if the camera um, pans out and we get more of an eternal picture of uh, the end times, if you like. 
the scope of which is far beyond a human king, verse 9. At the time of your appearing, you will make them like a fiery furnace. In his wrath, the Lord will follow them up. Uh, the Lord will swallow them up, sorry. And it seems that the flip side of God's saving, un, um, unfailing love is his wrathful vengeance on his enemies. And those two things go hand in hand because it's in defeating uh, his enemies that God glorifies his king. Look at the first and last verses of Psalm 21, the bookends. The psalmist is telling us to praise God specifically because of this amazing strength he has, of his amazing power. And it's at times like this that the Bible feels pretty awkward, isn't it? Because it would have been nice if Psalm uh, 21 had finished on that really happy note of all the answers to prayer. And in 21st century England, it feels a bit awkward. So what are we to make of it? Well, I want to suggest that we can't ignore it. It's not, oh, that was the Old Testament God, and now we've got a different one. No, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And probably if we can't cope with uh, that idea of God as the Bible tells us, then we've got the wrong impression of who God is and what he's like. But let me just suggest a couple of thoughts of what might help us uh, think about this. First is that God is taking action against his enemies. I wonder if you've ever been on the Christian Solidarity Worldwide website. You might know one of our church wardens works for them. But there are so many tales of uh, God's persecuted church around the the world. In North Korea, um, 200,000 people in labor camps. Many of them are Christians. If you're found with a Bible or if you're uh, suspected of having any contact with foreign mission agencies, you can expect to be killed. Well, I wonder if the struggling church in North Korea has a problem with thinking about a God who defeats his enemies and defeats their enemies. What about the the churches in um, certain countries who have been um, persecuted by ISIS and similar groups in Pakistan where churches are routinely uh, blown up, in Iraq, in Nigeria, lots of other countries? Should we be ashamed of a God who will act against those who slay his precious children? And secondly, the good thing about God taking action is it means that we don't have to. There is that uh, day to look forward to when God will be the judge, Jesus the infallible judge, in fact. And so that means we can let go of, of hurt. We can let grudges go and our need to revenge because we can leave God's work in God's hands. And I think that's good news. So as we uh, draw to a close now, let me just return our focus to God's king and think of two particular ways that we might emulate him and his relationship with God this week. And the first is this, verse 6, being joyful in God's presence. You'll remember that when Jesus was on the cross, the agony for him was being separated from his father. And yet we're told in Romans, that the great work of Jesus dying on the cross, conversely, was that that means we have access to God, that we can be close to him, that he's not far from us, the intimacy 
we have with him. Um, at other times in the Psalms, he's um, told of uh, sheltering in, uh, in God's wing like a baby bird would with their, with their mother. It's a beautiful picture. Are we joyful this morning, friends, at being in God's presence? Not because we're in church, that doesn't make any difference. Um, but because if we're Christians, that's what we're, we're told we have, God's presence. God's presence with us. One day that's going to be physical in heaven, but even now we have God's spirit within us. Is that leading us to rejoice, to worship God? And secondly and finally, verse 7. Standing firm in the unfailing love of God. We had a long list of people to uh, pray for uh, earlier in our intercessions. And I guess for lots of us, the Howells family have been much on our hearts this week. And we probably think, you know, how do I begin to pray for them? How do I think about that terribly, terribly sad situation? Well, I hope we, we're praying for them, friends, verse 7, that they are standing firm, knowing that God's love is unfailing for them. It's unfailing. And for each of us, you know, I don't know what's going on in everyone's lives who's sitting here, but I guess all of us have got things on our plate, perhaps especially difficult times um, at work or with relationships, uh, sadness. I don't know, as I say. But can I urge you to trust the unfailing love of God. That's the promise for us. That's how we stand firm. That's how we don't slip into the mire. That's how we don't succumb to the things that at times seem too powerful for us to cope with. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your might. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your might. Amen.